0: You are listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as services, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. me to preach an Easter message out of Numbers, but I'm not doing that. Um, We're going to talk about the gospel. All right, so if you got a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 20 this morning, so I'd love for you to be there with me as well. And so um, we tried to build Oaks to be a church where believers are challenged, right? And I think that's happening. I think if you're a believer and you've trusted Christ, I think if you've been a part of Oaks for a while and you've been in a huddle, been in a tribe, and you've been a part of what we're doing, I think your faith has probably been challenged. But we also wanted to build a church where people who were not believers yet could ask questions. Without feeling uh, pressured, we wanted them to be able to ask questions where they would feel like they could be, have an open dialogue with somebody who could, has been, been a little bit further down the road. And they could find answers to those questions. And I think we've done that as well. I get a lot of questions from people who aren't believers yet. And they get to they come and they ask these questions. And they're, they're really good and really thoughtful questions. And that's one of the things I wanted us to be a church that honored the, the effort to, to, to just ask to do the work, to try to figure out what people believe about the gospel and to to, to walk through that. And we want to be a church we could walk alongside them. And so I'm always encouraged when people have to feel the freedom and feel the courage to to come and ask me a question or come and ask some of you a question um, about what they're trying to figure out when it comes to Christ. And so... I talked about that last Sunday a little bit. And last Sunday after the service, um, somebody came up to me and they said, hey, I've got a question. And so we went and sat down and had a conversation about that. I hey man, if, if you're here and you came and asked me a question last week, I, I want you to know like, Your question stuck with me all week long, um, and I've been just so encouraged by the fact that you were asking that question at all. And so uh, I wanted to to share with everybody, because honestly, I think it's a question that is at the core of a lot of our hearts, whether you're a believer or not. I think it's all kind of, it rolls around in all of us. And so that's the question I want us to answer this morning. So this young man comes up to me and says, all right, so listen, uh, we are we talking about peace and how Jesus came to be a king of peace. He didn't come to conquer and destroy and tear us down, but he came to bring peace, lasting peace, in a way that we can't find in any, any other way in, in our world. And so he came and he said this, he said, all right, so you said that we're all longing for a peace we don't find in this life, okay? And he said that, that Jesus came to bring that peace, but, but, but isn't it just in the future, how is it any different from like looking forward to a vacation? Like why does it matter today? Which is a beautifully profound question. It's incredibly thoughtful just like to formulate that in the first place. But like that's the, that's the question. Simply put, he's asking, listen, how does, Jane, how does Jesus change stuff for my life today? That's a question you need to have an answer to. That's a question that I need to have an answer to. Like, How does, how does Jesus change things today for me? Maybe you've heard the story of Jesus' death on the cross your entire life. Maybe you can't remember a time that you hadn't heard that story. Maybe somebody told you when you were a kid that, that, that Jesus died on the cross for you and if you would just trust him or pray some prayer, then you, would, you wouldn't have to go to hell when you die and you get to go be in heaven with Jesus. And that was the fullness of that understanding. But all that seems irrelevant for today. The stuff you're struggling with, the stuff that you're walking through, the stuff that your friends are walking through and your family's walking through, it seems kind of irrelevant. There's this, if it's only a future hope, then what good is that? Like I want, to, I need something for today. Where's hope for today? Where's peace for today? Where's, where's freedom for today? Like now, eternal hope is a beautiful and powerful thing. But that is only half the story. Is God concerned with your day to day? Did Jesus come just to bring you eternity, or did He come to bring you a life abundant here? How does Jesus change stuff today? Because that's—I think that's—that's—I think that's what we're all looking for. I think that's a question that rolls around all of our hearts and minds. If it's just an eternal hope and that's all of the story, and we're left on our own for the day to day, the stuff that we walk through—that's not enough. What about right now? What about like in the middle of your marriage struggling, in the middle of parenting? Those of you who have kids, like, dude, I'm with you. We're in it together, all right? Like solidarity. I mean, like. I get it, like in the middle of all of that, like what, what do you do in the middle of health crisis and loss and financial strain, and like all of our college students struggling with what in the world the future is going to hold, if all of that is on your shoulders and yours alone? there really isn't any peace. There really isn't any hope for today. Maybe you've heard your whole life that faith in Jesus was really only about being with God in eternity. I want you to hear this morning that 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 is only half the story. And here's what I think. I think many of us are living in light of only half the gospel. Like we made it to Friday. We made it to the cross and Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But we lack that hope. We lack that confidence and that, that freedom that comes with Sunday. I think for a lot of us Sunday hadn't come yet. Where's your hope for now? This past Friday night, we, uh, we, had a, we had a good Friday service as a church because we're a church plant. We just do whatever we want. And so we decided we want to have a true good Friday service. And um, I didn't really know what to expect. And so we came in and we just gathered together. There's a bunch of us packed in a pavilion, which is just cool. And the weather, weather was beautiful. And we just sang and we just read scripture about the, 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 the blood of Christ, like Jesus giving his life for us. We just took the Lord's Supper like, on our own, just slowly and quietly, prayerfully. And you know, it was so good for me. This thing was good. If you were there, I think it was good for all of us. I think there was something significant that guy was doing there just as we got to remember well the sacrifice that Christ made for us. But that's not the end of the story. It was a beautiful service remembering the death and the burial of resurrection, or the death and burial of of Jesus. But Sunday comes. We talked about, we read the account of Jesus being arrested and being questioned and then beaten and crucified, literally nailed to a cross between. Two criminals. And crying out and breathing his last and being taken down and placed into a tomb. We remembered. But as we concluded, we reminded ourselves that the story didn't conclude that a tomb. That's not the end. So we're studying John chapter 20 this morning. This is John's account of the resurrection of Jesus. And as we do this, we're going to look at three very different people and their reactions to the resurrection. All right, we're only gonna get three of them. There's gonna be three different reactions, three different paths, and as we do that, I'm praying that you figure out which one of those three people you most relate to and then can see in their life, then you can see in your life how the resurrection is incredibly relevant, not just for eternity, but for right now for you. I want you to find an answer to that question. How does Jesus change things today? So John chapter 20, we first, first we meet Mary Magdalene. A little bit of setup just before we jump into the text. Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene, um, if you read the other sections of the gospel, Mary's been healed of seven demons. All right. So she had, I don't know what that's like, but that's incredibly rough. And Jesus has like, transformed her, made her new, literally rescued her. Okay. Like She was at the cross. She's there watching the horror unfold in real time. She was there to the end. And so for Mary, Sunday morning, I don't think could come quick enough. She, she couldn't sleep, and so she got up early. Passover had ended, so this was the first chance that she could go back to the tomb and just be near him. And so brokenhearted, Mary starts to walk through the darkness back to the tomb where they laid Jesus. And this is what it says in John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, she came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, kind of early. And this is what she saw. She saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This is not what she's expecting. She's making her way to the tomb. It's early in the morning. She's brokenhearted, like the story has come to a close, like her savior, her rescuer's been murdered, and she's just going to just pay respect, just to mourn, right? And she gets there, the, tomb, the, the stone's been rolled away, and so she's just in shock. What do I do? What do I do? And so she did what a lot of us would do. She just goes off running for help, right? And so verse 2 says she ran. She ran and goes, finds the loudmouth guy, Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John. That's the guy who's writing this account. He just completely, he refers to himself over and over, the one who Jesus loved. So she she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. I have no idea what's going on. What do we do? So verse three says, Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple was in better shape. He outran Peter, reached the tomb first, and then John. this is John's account. He's like, I've been training, all right? I'm ready. And so, and so, so it, John gets there first, verse five, and says, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. All right, so if you get a copy of God's word, like a, a physical one, you need to underline that. He, that's what he saw. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. He's a little bit timid, didn't go in. Simon Peter, not timid at all, verse 6, Simon Peter comes roaring through there, following him. He just goes straight down into the tomb. He sees the linen cloths lying there as well and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. Underline this, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw, and look, he saw and believed. That's different than just seeing something. That's that's different from just, I I ran, I saw, and like like, something's happening there. If he's getting to a point of belief in something in this tomb, in this space right here, like something else has happened. Verse nine says, for as yet they didn't understand the scripture. When they were running over there, they didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. then verse 10, it says, disciples went back to their home. Listen, John hears the news that Jesus' body's been taken. John's the first person I want you to get to zoom in on. Some of you are a lot like John. John hears the news, the body's been taken, and he runs to the tomb to investigate. When he gets there, he starts to look around. When, when John's writing this, he's telling you what he saw. This is his, his version is radically different from the other three Gospels. He's telling you his experience with this, how he came to a point where he can say, I walked in this thing, I saw what happened, and I came to a point where I believed. He'd heard the body was stolen. Right? That's what Mary said, isn't it? They've taken the body. We don't know where they've put him. Come help. That's what he'd been told. He'd been told the body was stolen, but upon investigation, that didn't make a lot of sense to him. When he got there, the linen cloths had been taken off. So John starts to, he's puzzling this out. Listen, if you stole a body a couple of days after it was buried, and they didn't have burial the way that we do, and so they would wrap, these, wrap a body in these linen cloths and pack it with this like good smelling uh, ointment type stuff, right? Because decay is gonna set in pretty quick. If you're gonna steal a body, why would you, why would you, why would you take the burial cloths off? The already starting. Why wouldn't you just take the body just as it is? Why would you take the time? Why would you risk getting caught? To take the burial cloths off, right? Like that doesn't make that doesn't make any sense. Like if you're just moving him, you just move him. Okay, maybe Jesus just revived. Maybe he somehow survived being beat with an inch of his life and crucified and then stabbed with a spear afterwards and just like revived in the tomb on his own, right? He's still going to be in pretty terrible shape, but like these cloths were on tight. When Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, back in John 11, it says this, the man who who had died came out. Jesus calls Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And they start watching. And Lazarus, he's doing his best. Like The the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus has to go tell somebody to go unbind him. He says, let him go. Let him go. He can't get out of this on his own. He tells. John's thinking this through. Lazarus couldn't get out on his own. How would Jesus beat within an inch of his life, crucified, then stabbed afterwards? Like, how in the world is he, how would he have gotten it out? If, he, if, if so, like, it wouldn't be neatly folded. This would have been shredded to pieces, right? Like, it would have been a fight. John says he worked all this stuff through right there in the tomb. And he believed. John's a thinker. John wants to examine the evidence. And when he's presented with evidence, that's compelling. John came to a point where he believed. He believed that Jesus had risen. And until that point, that had not made sense to him. And to that point, he hadn't had the evidence to support that. That's what he said in the next verse. Like, until then, we didn't get it. But I saw, I saw what I saw, and I've examined the evidence, I believe. Some of you are very much like John. John. You're thinkers, you puzzle things out. Like you need some time to sit and reflect on the evidence and you'll gather as much evidence as it takes to come to an informed and complete decision. Some of you are Christians and you came to Christ just like that. You did the work, you put in the time, you examined the evidence and you found Jesus to be true and trustworthy. That's what you did. And the truth of Christ has changed everything for you. Like you, you agree with C.S. Lewis when he wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He's like, I see it now. I can see it. And because I can see it, it illuminates everything else. Like it, it all clicked. It made sense. You've assessed the facts, and it's not only true, but it's changed everything for you. You people, like the, the, the people like John in the room, when you come to a point of agreement with, with the facts of the gospel, like it, it radically changes your life. Because if it is true, then that has ramifications for every other area of who you are. That's why you're trying to follow him well. There's others of you in the room who are a lot like John. You just haven't, you haven't made that call yet. And you're here. You're here this morning. You're examining the evidence. You're, you're struggling with it. You're doing the work, trying to determine if this Jesus really is who he said he is. And I think you get it. Like if, if it is actually true, then that would change everything. Listen, if Sunday never came for John, there'd be nothing to trust him like The guy who's writing this gospel account would have nothing to write. He would not have believed it without the resurrection. John's been with Jesus this entire time. He's seen all the miracles. He's seen Jesus teach with authority. He's seen Jesus feed thousands of people with a few fish, a couple of loaves of bread. He's seen Jesus calm the seas. It wasn't enough. Without Sunday morning, John wouldn't have believed was the resurrection it was this foundational point I can't get around this 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 is it this is more than just some guy that can do some cool tricks like this is it beyond because of Sunday John knew beyond any shadow of doubt that Jesus reigns because of Sunday because the resurrection like you and I have a set of evidence that has a conclusion There's a point when you get to the resurrection that all this is either true or all of it isn't. Either the resurrection actually transpires as it is, as as, as it's recorded. Like all these eyewitness accounts actually hold water. The extra biblical accounts that we have hold water. Or they don't. And everything that we know about Jesus is uh, a lie at best. How does Jesus change things today for people like you? You no longer have to keep guessing. You can come to a point where you can know for certainty that Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you're like John in the room, that's how Jesus changes things today. You can finally have certainty in something something powerful, something that changes your day, something that changes your life. It's not just some unverifiable promises, He can be trusted. So Peter and John, they, um, they, they, they do this work, and they, they're investigating, and then they, eventually, time comes, they prepare to leave. But Mary, Mary wants to stay a little bit longer, and so eventually, they just have to leave her there, and they, they head home, and she's just gonna give her some time alone to process, to pray. And so it says that Mary's standing outside the tomb, and she's just, she's sobbing. She's broken. She has not come to a point of belief yet. She still thinks the body's stolen. She can't just imagine horror among, uh, like on top of horror, right? stoops to look into the tomb, and through her tears, she sees something, wipes her eyes a little bit, and looks again In verse 12. It says this, and she saw two angels in white. She didn't realize they're angels, but she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head one's at the feet. And they just look up at her like this is the normal thing in the world, look up at her and said, woman, why are you, why are you weeping? Why, why are you, you okay? You crying? Like, what's wrong? Isn't that like when you see somebody crying, isn't that what you want to do? You're like, oh, are you okay? You want to talk about it? I hope you don't want to talk about it. You want to talk about it? You don't want to talk about it. It's fine. You need some time by yourself, right? You know, that's what I do. (laughs) If you need to cry, I'll I'll hang out with you. I'll I'll do it. It'd be great. i love it. All right. So, woman, why are you weeping? And she's just like choking. Like she's like choke crying. You know, she she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. She did not know those angels. She's just distraught. Says so she he turns around, slams into somebody, he turns around, just like walks right into somebody. Somebody's standing, there. some other guys there now. And again, he has the same thing you ask when people are sobbing uncontrollably. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? You lost? Like what? Can I help? At this point, Mary's just ready to fight. It's more than she can bear. Verse 15 says she thinks the guy's the gardener. She's just trying to find the body. So she says to the theoretical gardener, she says, sir, if you took him, if you carried him away, you tell me where you got him and I'll, I'll go get him. All right? I ain't even gonna, I'm not even going to take you down. Okay? Like, just you tell me. If you've carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I will, go, I, will, I will take him away. But the gardener, he takes her by the shoulder. He stoops down a little bit to get in her face, and he just whispers, Mary. Mary. It's me. She looks up at him and through the tears, she sees something impossible. Her savior, the guy who rescued her from those seven demons, put her back together, gave her a new life, is standing there smiling at her. And she does exactly what you and I would do, just jumps on him, right? What else would there be to do? It's like those YouTube videos of like army parents coming in and surprising their kids. It's like times a million. I mean, that's the same thing. Just jump on it. Throws her arms around him. I imagine Jesus just kind of chuckling, trying to calm her down. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm here. It's okay. It's okay. Many of us find ourselves in Mary Magdalene. You came to Jesus at your worst. If you're a believer in the room, you came to Jesus at the end of your rope. And in struggle and in sin and in failure and in darkness, you fell at the feet of Jesus. The only one who loved you, the only one who would be there for you. When everything else fell apart, there's this him and he's standing there. You needed a rescuer because you were broken. If Sunday never came for Mary, there'd be nobody to cling to. If, if Sunday never came, she'd be on her own. And so would you. For a lot of us, especially if you listen to baptism stories, for a lot of us, you hear that, that there's this pivotal moment, this pivotal point, for, for those of us who have trusted Christ, that, that we go from knowing a story that, that, that somebody had told us to knowing a person. And you'll hear it come up in all, like almost all the baptism videos where they, people talk about having a relationship with Jesus. They didn't have a relationship with him before, but then I met him, and now I have a relationship with him. My relationship with him has changed everything for me. There was no Sunday, there's no relationship. If Jesus' life ended on Friday, and that was it, and that was the end, then you can't have a relationship with a murdered teacher. You can't have a relationship with the risen Savior. It rains on high right now. His presence is with you right now. Mary needed a rescuer, and without Sunday, she wouldn't have one. She'd have nobody to cling to, and neither would you. As those that are saved by Jesus, like, he's with us. His spirit is inside you. He is presently at the right hand of the Father, like, interceding on your praying for you. He's actively and presently with us. So is it just a future hope that we have? Is it just a hope for eternity? Yes, there's that. But the Sunday came, and so I can have a relationship with him. I can lean on him in the worst and darkest moments of my life. I'm not alone. I've got somebody I can cling to. You can run to him right now, just like Mary did. After this beautiful reunion, Mary, Mary has some work to do. So she takes off running again. Takes off running to go tell somebody. That's what, that's what believers do. Verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene, she went and she announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. I've seen him. I saw him like face to face as he telling them the things and everything that he said to her. Doesn't say they bought it though. That Sunday night, the disciples, they're huddled together. They're fearful. They're confused. They're hiding. By the way, that's what we all look like without certainty of the resurrection. When we lack certainty about that, that Jesus actually reigns, that he is victorious over everything that we face, when we lack certainty about that, we are fearful and confused people. Whether we're believers or not, without Sunday, that's the best you can hope for. But then, these disciples gather together, then Jesus shows up, changes everything. Verse 19 says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. I read this story with my kids last night and I said, how would you feel if um, we had your bedroom doors closed and somebody just appeared in the room and their eyes got real big, <laughs> you know? I imagine the disciples' eyes getting real big. And so when it says, peace be with you, Jesus is trying to just calm down a mob. He's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay, everybody. It's just the King of kings and Lord of lords. All right, verse 20 he says, when he, when he said this, he showed him his hands and his side." And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, "Peace be with you." As the Father has sent me, I'm even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, "Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sin of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld." It's this is an incredibly powerful moment—the commissioning of most of the disciples. Holy Spirit's coming, like Jesus reigns. He's there. They've seen him. The grave isn't victorious over them. So much we could unpack there, but we're going to have to save some of that for another day because there's one more person that we need to consider. One of the the disciples wasn't in the room that day. Verse 24 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. He wasn't with them when Jesus came. So verse 25 says, So the other disciples, they, they went and told him, We've seen the Lord told him everything he said. Like we saw him, like it tells him about his experiences. They met, like Thomas is talking to people who physically saw Jesus appear into a room and showed him his hands and his side. His friends, he'd spent years with them. He's talking to people he'd spent years with who knew that Jesus had risen. And this is what he said. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, Listen, I will never believe. Thomas is the cynic. He isn't swayed by the evidence or even the eyewitnesses. His his default is is doubt. And some of us in here, that's us. And you know that. I know that. Like some of us, we're just, we're kind of cynical people. We sort of mistrust everything. Anybody tells you anything, you're like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know. You see it, right? And I respect that. That's the way that God built you. There's a purpose in that. But for Thomas, it says listen, no matter what was presented uh, to him about Jesus, it's, his, re- his reaction was mistrust. See, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe it, guys. I know I know you. I know I saw the storms calm. I know I saw the fish in the loaves. I know I saw the deaf had received the hearing and the blind received sight. I know I was there when Lazarus rose from the dead, but I don't believe it. I saw him die. People don't come back from that. That's not a thing. I don't know if you're all experiencing some kind of like weird collective like like hologram. I don't know what you're doing. All right, but like I'm out. I'm not buying it. Unless I see the holes in his hands for myself. And he says, I didn't see them. He says, unless I can put my finger in the hole in his hands, put my finger in the, put my hand in his eye, I will never believe it. If that's you if, you, if you identify with Thomas, you're a little cynical, questioning, a little mistrusting of this whole thing. And whether you're a believer or not, how do you think Jesus feels towards the cynic? How do you think a holy and perfect God who's honestly above being questioned, how do you think he reacts to a cynic? Assume with me for a second that God is real. If you're not a believer in the room, assume with me just for a second that God's real. Would you assume he would be offended by your skepticism? You would, wouldn't you? This holy and perfect God, he's above being questioned. If he's actually real, wouldn't you imagine him, that he would be offended by your skepticism, as offended by that scoffing, offended by that mistrust? Thomas had been with Jesus for years. Met the resurrection with mistrust and watch this. This is what happens. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them this time. All the doors were locked. Jesus came, stood among them again, said peace, calmed them down, peace be with you again. He's been giving him time. Jesus gave Thomas eight days to think this over. Rolled around in his mind, gives him time, gives him some space. He's not in a hurry. He's been giving you time. He's not in a hurry with you either. Verse 27 says, he says to Thomas, put your finger here did doesn't say he spoke to anybody else, does it? Everybody else is there. They're all, in the, they're all in the room. Jesus walks up to Thomas. Doesn't ask the questions. Doesn't ask what his doubts are. Doesn't ask what he said. Just holds his hand out. All right. Here you go. See my hands? Listen, put out your hand. Place it in my side. It says this. is. Do not disbelieve, Thomas. But believe. Jesus knew the doubts in his mind already. He didn't have to go ask Thomas. He'd been there with him for eight days. The spirit of God had been with Thomas, like drawing into himself, like listening to the, the words. Of, like Jesus knew the doubts, knew the skepticism, knew the cynicism in Thomas, knew what he'd said. He didn't have to come ask. He just walked up and held his hand out. He's like, this is what it's going to take, man. All right. Come on. Let's do this. Jesus knew the doubt in his mind and was not deterred. Jesus knew the doubt in his mind and wasn't angry, wasn't, wasn't frustrated with him. He drew near to him on purpose. He's not frustrated with you either. It means he knows your doubt as well and still cares enough about you to draw near to you. It meant that entire time Thomas was doubting God was there and Jesus wasn't angry. He's calling Thomas to believe. He says, don't disbelieve, but believe. Don't just keep pressing into your disbelief. I'm right here, trust me. Enough's enough. Trust me. That's my challenge to you. Don't keep pressing into that disbelief. At a certain point, enough's enough. Turn to Jesus, trust him. Don't disbelieve, believe. Right now, right where you sit. How does Jesus change things today? He changes even the hardest hearts even the deepest cynicism in us. He can overcome the deepest doubts that we have if if we'll stop pressing into that disbelief. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answers him, verse 28, and he just falls on his face before the Lord. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus loved Thomas enough to die for him, and he loved him enough to help him overcome his reservations. And he feels the same about you. How do I know that? Verse 29, he starts talking about you. Verse 29, Jesus says to them, have you believed because you've seen me? Great. But blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed. Jesus turns his attention to people like you and me who would not get to see, who would not see Jesus enter into a room and hold his hand out for us to touch. Like, we don't get the privilege of that. Like, he recognizes the challenge that people like me and you were going to have to face to believe. And it's a high bar, man. People don't raise from the dead. I get it. But we also see that he's not angry with us because of those doubts and that cynicism, that skepticism. But he's understanding of it. He gets it. This is a hard and heavy thing to believe. He understands it. In fact, that's what John addresses in the very next verse. Jesus is saying, listen, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. John picks up the idea of verse 30. says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which aren't written in this book. But these, he's like, listen, these these are written so that you may believe in the name, in Jesus, in the, uh, you, may, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. He's like, John's like, I, I get it. I didn't believe it either. I didn't believe it until I saw the linen cloth lying there, the face shroud folded up over here. It just didn't make sense to me. Like I, just, I puzzled it out. I came to a point where I believed it. Mary, she didn't believe it. She didn't believe it off the, the cloth. She didn't believe it until she met the person. She, like, that relationship started. She didn't believe it. Thomas didn't believe it, even though all of us told him. Thomas didn't believe it until he got his, his finger in his hand. I get it. He's like, so I've written this account so that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by, by, by believing, you may have life. Not just eternity. Life in his name. Without Sunday, John wouldn't have anything to trust. Without Sunday, Mary wouldn't have a Savior to run to. Without Sunday, Thomas would have never believed. He would have remained in his disbelief. Without Sunday, you, you'd you only have a bunch of unproven promises of forgiveness that really don't hold any weight. Without Sunday, without the resurrection, you would have no certainty. Regarding your life, your future, you wouldn't have anything trustworthy to lean on. Without Sunday, you'd have no savior to talk with, to lean on, to trust in. You would literally be on your own. And that's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because that is not true. We have the promise of forgiveness. We have certainty in the cross and the resurrection. We have a savior that we can know and walk with and lean on in this life and the life to come. That's why we celebrate. That's how Jesus changes today. Because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. Whatever tomorrow comes, because I'm not on my own anymore. I've got a king who is victorious over even death. Surely he can handle whatever's coming tomorrow. He can handle what you're facing. He can handle the doubts that are in your mind. He can walk with you as you puzzle this out. It's, he's not angry with you. He's not in a hurry for you. He's drawing you to himself. Will you stop disbelieving? Will you stop pressing into that disbelief and trust in Jesus? He's accomplished everything he needed to do to forgive you, to restore you, to make a way for eternal life for you and give you a life abundant today. Will you trust him? Christians, um, we have a hope. We have a hope for eternity, but we also have a hope for today. You don't have to live as somebody where everything is on your shoulders. The good news of the resurrection is that Jesus is victorious over life and death. He's lived this life perfectly. He's given you his righteousness. You get to rest in him and in glory in him in eternity. There's good news there. He's with us. If he's with us, what's going to stand against us? There's a confidence. There, like, there's no place for fear because he's victorious over the grave, because he's, res- he's with you. Like There's such goodness there. Don't forget the Sunday. Don't forget that he's with you. If you're not a believer yet, if you're not a Christian yet in the room, I want to say it like this. Without Jesus, I, I literally, I don't know how you get through what you go through. I don't know how you handle the struggle. I don't know how you handle the darkness. I don't know how you handle the weight of everything that you hold. I don't know how you do it. I used to be there, and I don't, I don't know how you're still walking with it. That's way more than I was, ever, I was ever able to bear. It's more than you got able to bear as well. Good news, of resurrection is. You have a Savior who's come and who reigns, and the weight doesn't have to stay on your shoulders. The weight for your sin doesn't have to stay on your shoulders. The weight for your future doesn't have to stay on your shoulders. It doesn't have to be all on you. There is peace in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. There's a life abundant that <laughs> where it's, there's a goodness and a joy in Him that's unlike anything you've ever known. I don't know how you deal with the stuff you walk through, but I do know you don't have to. If you're like John, do the work. Figure this thing out. Puzzle it out. Get the evidence you need. Talk to one of us. We'll help you figure this out. Come to your conclusion. Just do the work. If you're sitting here broken like Mary, like you don't have to be alone anymore. You need a rescuer. Like run to the cross. Let him rescue you. Let him be your savior and your Lord. Let him give you a new life. Run to Jesus. If you're here and you've just kind of been immobilized by skepticism, I get that. If something in you really wants to know, then I'm going to give you a challenge that you're not going to like. I want to invite you to pray. And I know that you don't know that prayer does anything at all. I know that you're not sure that you're not praying to the back of your eyelids, and that's all right. It's going to be pretty hard for you to pray this, but this is what I want you to say. God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. And I want you to pray this. God, I'm open. I don't know if you're going to want us to pray that. And if, you, if you don't know Christ yet, you don't trust trust me your Savior. God, reveal yourself to me. I'm open. As difficult as it is, as hard as it is for me to say that, God, I'm, I'm, I'm open. Our band's coming Christians. We're about to worship the risen King. We're going to shake the walls because we don't know a dead teacher. We know a victorious King. We're going to pour our hearts out before him. We're going to go hard. All right? But... If you're not a Christian yet, if you're not a Christian yet, Jesus' invitation to Thomas is open to you. We're going to worship. But Tom, like, the invitation to Thomas is open to you. Don't disbelieve, but believe. Right now, in this moment, in this space, I don't know what else you're waiting for. Like some of you are ready right now, like, fine, enough's enough, let's go. I'm in. Each of these people, each of these three people, they met Jesus. They met a person. And he changed their life. You can meet Jesus right here in this room this morning. In just a second, our, our prayer team's gonna be back in the back. They'd love to pray with you. I'm gonna be, I'm going over there. I'm gonna be over there, all right? And so if you wanna talk with me, you wanna talk with one of them, this is what that time's for. Christians, we're gonna worship. And if it's time, if it's, today's the day that you're gonna stop disbelieving and believe on Jesus, come talk with one of us. We would love to help you walk through that process, all right? Why don't you stand? I'm gonna pray for us. And our band's gonna lead us. Father. We don't serve a dead teacher, we serve a risen king. There's a power in the name of Jesus that surpasses all things. So Lord, for those of us in the room who we've been weighing it out, we've been trying to figure it out, I pray that today would be the day that we would nail it down, that we would believe. For those of us who came in this place broken and burdened with sin and shame and guilt and whatever else we came in with, God, I pray that people would run to the Savior and let you rescue them, make them whole again. God, I pray for the cynics and the skeptics in the room. I pray that you would would help us to be open and that as you move, that you would draw even the hardest heart to yourself in this room this morning. And God, for those of us who have trusted and believed in Jesus following you as Savior, following you as Lord, God, help us to worship you with all of our hearts because you alone are worthy. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Let's go.